Uncle Phil and his Puerto Rican-looking commandos strike again here on V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Here I am with another heapin' helpin' of Star Trek podcast Hamburger Helper, making us get the most out of what we're able to afford this season. We're stretching that pound of ground beef, my friend. (laughs) I'm your co-host, Peter. You know, I will say this in defense of Hamburger Helper. Put a little barbecue sauce and mac and cheese. Fuck that. Just hamburger. uh, Not even hamburger helper. Whatever the hell Aldi's version is. Mm -hmm. I don't think we really ate it growing up. There's a lot of like food we didn't really encounter. I didn't have ramen until I was in college. Uh, You see, my uh, grandfather came back from World War Two because he was in the Navy with having spent some time in Japan and he became very much a fan of ramen. And and brought back that that love <laughs> um, to to the United States. And so when uh, when ramen came to the United States, the the freeze dried ramen, he was huge. Oh my god, I get to have ramen again, guys! We're gonna get such high sodium. You're gonna love it. Um, yeah. So I was exposed to ramen from a young age, thanks to my my proto weeb grandfather. Yeah, but uh, I never had hamburger helper growing up, and I I love it. It's great. It is. It's great. You know what's also great? Aside from and this episode of Star Trek. That... For Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> We're, well, we'll finish this great episode of Star Trek that we started and liked so much. We talked about it for an hour <laughs> before we like looked up. Um, but there's there's content our, our listeners crave, and that is our middle-aged man gaming habits. And Peter, in particular, I just heard everybody out on the internet say no, no. <laughs> it's like watch Not time me. died two minutes in. Um, <laughs> in particular, though, I I think your gaming journey is it's truly it's it's a journey. I'm glad we're all on together. Fill in the people. What have you been up to? I've been we've been pushing our daughter to read. Not to make herself better, but so she can start playing some of these video games with us. And uh, that's good. That's good. Train them early. I'll tell you uh, the the biggest game we've been playing because I can play with the family. It's called Party Animals. It released on Steam and Xbox. Look it up, man. I caught it on the winter Steam sale. I had my eye on it for a while. You can get away with. Four or five player, it'd be four player. Yeah, four player co-op on the couch. And it's 4v4 or 2v2v2v2. And uh, your little super cute bipedal animals with big uh, wobbly heads and great ragdoll physics. And you just wail on each other. There's headbutts, (laughs) there's kicks. You can Superman punch people and knock them out. It's hilarious. There's weapons. Um, and there's different game modes where the real appeal to me on this is that you can set the other team to just be all AI. And then when you've got like, you know, two year olds on your team, you can make it like two easy AI and then one normal AI. So it's like three V four. Yeah. Like even the odds a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I've never given a shit about football before, but like this ridiculous football mode they have or um, one where there's candy factory, and you know, like grab the candy and run it to your side and pull a lever and it opens a door and people fall in and they're crushed like some pretty brutal like death things, but it's all cutesy. Uh, my kids love that and I love it too. So I've been playing a lot of that mostly because cyberpunk um, fucked up on a patch, the 2.1 patch, which was pretty substantial, cool stuff, but it removed the finisher kill animations for um, melee engagements. And I've been waiting for them to fix that. Oh, it's like how did they accidentally borf their animations? They've had oh, since like the 1.0 of the game. Damn. Every patch, you know, fixes stuff. The last patch broke and then breaks new stuff for the next patch. They even this 2.11 patch they put out, which was supposed to fix the kill animations. Now I crash a desktop when I load. I think it's because I have something bound to my mouse button that I haven't had the time to unfuck it yet. We've also been playing um, in shrouded, which is, do you know anything about that? No, never heard of it. Valheim. It's like a 16 player co-op, but you run your own server 
Okay. And that's really been scratching this itch that we've had for like something kind of sky. It's like a mashup between like Skyrim and um, uh, Breath of the Wild. Good. Good. Okay. Yeah. I'm, thank you for giving us the update. I didn't know if there was any like you finally got around to an SNES classic 30 years later or any of those. No, but, that's you know. still on my to do list. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't know why I haven't been playing that while I've been waiting for Skyrim to finish. Uh, I grabbed a bunch of VR games, too. I'm trying to get back into that. And my VR fortitude has fallen off considerably. So, like, I'm getting motion sickness and having to, like... Gotta rebuild it. Yeah, it's like going it's, to the gym. It's a real muscle. And that's the other thing. I've been going to the gym, so I'm just, like, very sore and unhappy with life. You know who's unhappy with life? That is the people who work at Ubisoft. Um, Ubisoft, so it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The game you and I uh, both enjoyed tremendously uh, were both entries in the Neo uh, Deus Ex saga. So not that was a Ubisoft. That was. Um... Oh, Eidos. Eidos, rather. Eidos, yeah. Interactive. Yeah, sorry. Square, sorry. Square, not Ubisoft, right? Eidos. And yeah, it was Eidos Montreal that saw, I guess, most of its staff get laid off. And they had been working on a. Deus Ex game for a couple of years and it got canceled. We talked about that last one. I I don't know if we talked about it on um on You and I talked to the minimum. Not. There might we might have talked about it on an episode, but I do not remember. <laughs> I couldn't get into that last one. And it visually it looked great and all the makings were there for something that I should have really been able to get down on and I it felt hollow in a way that I can't really quantify. Um, and I gave up on it. That's the first big triple A game that I've kind of just said, all right, this should be great. It's not clicking. I got to move on. I like the second one more, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah. I felt like the gameplay loop had been perfected, uh, which made it more fun to play. And the ambiance was still there. The music still amazing. It looked like a million dollars. I, you know, big fan of both played both into the dirt, but I think I'd, I'd take the second one as my favorite. I mean, well, the first one, the human revolution is novel for just the fact that that's what invented this visual design they went with, right? Like, yes, yeah, so the visual design being triangles and everything is black and gold. <laughs> yeah, it's aesthetic. And it's so funny because we watched the fight with Chakotay versus the the chaos dream alien or whatever. And like when reality would like warp and all the triangles would jingle. And I'm like, is he going into Deus Ex? <laughs> is he going into old Detroit? What's going on here? But the second game, um, I feel like it. It managed to do more with the whole premise of people who are augmented versus not and like creating a whole like political drama there that that, that you know, that's scratches funny. my itch, you know? Because that's what you and I were just talking about before we hit record was this Peter Thiel guy bankrolling yeah. <laughs> Olympics with steroids. And yeah. that's what I said. I want, I, want, I want people with steroids. I want cyborgs. I want, and if there's any aliens out there or dinosaurs, just like a real time crisis uh, sporting event. Out of curiosity, when you're playing these, uh, when you're playing like Deus Ex or Cyberpunk or whatever, what build, what's your go-to first round build pistols magic hacking what i am very much a pistol stealth ish kind of person like i feel like a lot of these games do have a really strong like stealth option when you think about yes. it right like oh and this is like a habit i guess i learned picked up just playing metal gear solid <laughs> back on the playstation era and i've kept ever since and playing thief and then, you know, playing even Deus Ex, the, the original Deus Ex. Um, stealth is often something pretty well developed in these games. It's pretty well rewarded, like above just guns blazing. And so it has to be if you're taking your design team and saying, hey, build all the sewer crap or ventilation, whatever, and make this a viable option in the game. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, another game with a stealth option and sewers. What the fuck is this about vampire? You can only play four clans off the jump. Oh, yeah, for Bloodlines 2. And then the, what the there's going to be another three is like DLC. Like, fuck that, man. <laughs> they got to find a way to make up for all this money they spend with this game in dev hell for 87 million years. 
Like, how much money did it cost them to go out and find a new developer? To the just, Chinese room. To, just to finish this fucking thing. Like, that was so... I, that, the fact that this game is going to be released... Let's, let's, let's set the stage, right? Just in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines is one of those uh, cult hit games, we'll call it. Uh, it was the first game ever released on the Source engine, actually before Half-Life 2. And no, was, they released the same day. It was done first. It was done first. Okay. But they had to sit. Uh, and I guess technically Counter-Strike would have been Counter-Strike Source. And it was very, it had a very unique vibe. It captured the Vampire the Masquerade setting very well. Um, had a lot of voice acting, a lot of custom ability. You can you know, play all the different clans and you know, they had really unique paths that you could kind of follow. Same deal. Like, if you want to be a stealthy guy, that's all developed. If you want to be a punchy first talk, never guy that's there you want to be a blood magician sucking people's, you know, a fucking Vitae right out of their veins. You can do that. Um, you know, the, the Malkavian play path was super unique. Yeah. And it, it was also a game that was famously like, semi-unfinished like it was finished it had a beginning fuck yeah but it was like not refined and so it had a very strong fan following of people who like added cut content and like gave it a patch to get to make the resolution better and fix the bugs and all that sort of thing so the the, it wasn't financially successful and initially released the company that made it failed it became financially successful as time went on and continued to sell and continued to sell. And whoever was the license holder for it noticed how much they were selling on Steam, like on a pretty constant basis, particularly when around Halloween or was on sale. They just would just sell thousands of copies. So the idea finally came to someone of like, we should make a sequel. And it was Paradox who ultimately wound up holding all of the Vampire and the Masquerade licensing. And so they, being a video game company, were able to. to you know, put that into practice. But this fucking IP is cursed. This IP yes. that I have loved for most of my life that Peter and I know each other because of it's fucking cursed. The curse is the fan base. Spoiler. <laughs> the curse is the fan base, but also there seems to be some kind of like a Kane's curse, if you will, over the use of this IP in anything outside its native territory. All of its video games tend to be bad uh it's attempt at going into other media oh it doesn't work it's television shows we've noted kindred the embraced was was butchered and sure enough this thing has gone i didn't think it would actually get released because the the company that was doing the development which was a subsidiary of paradox that they bought fucked it up so bad that it got canned with no set release date and they got fired that shit does not happen and they wound up, I, I assume, contracting with another company to try and pick up the pieces and put together a finished product that they can put out. And to the astonishment, I think, of most people, this game is evidently coming out this year, like soon, <laughs> some sometime this spring. And I am not convinced that it's actually going to be playable, right? Like the proof, the, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, in my opinion here. And uh, I am not willing to be the one to take the first bite. I don't know who will. I don't know who is. But I'm going to wait to hear from other people before I will bother to spend a single red cent on that game. But if it's good, I'll play it for sure. I'll play it regardless, man. I got got brand loyalty on that specific thing. Anyways, I don't know. We're 14, 15 minutes in. This isn't a YouTube clip we're doing here, but. Yeah, well, the industry layoffs branching into entertainment. That's something we're going to have to talk about at some point. Yeah, no, yeah. Maybe some other time we did want to touch on the fact that video game companies are seem to be shedding a third of their workforce right now. Is there a quarterly reporting or something coming up? Because it just seems like people are losing their jobs just to boost profits to look good for some sort of report. Then they'll go back and rehire again. I think it's a short answer. It's AI. AI is asserting itself in this industry. And you want to talk about a place where you probably have a lot of technical redundancies and probably a lot of administrative bloat that can go along with it. It's probably video games, right? Like you're the, first of all, you've got a lot of lack of success, like a uh, perfect recent example, uh, suicide squad, kill the justice league. The game is fucking hot garbage. 
Did you play it? it, it, It's made. I've watched plenty of YouTube videos of people playing it to not want to. Mm. It is a bland, turgid looter scooter that has the sophistication of people, you know, that are like fifteen-year-old edge lords. Um, and I don't, I don't understand who this product is for, who is going to buy it. And so you've got that issue where a lot of titles, AAA titles have just died immediately on, on launch. And then you also have AI likely automating a lot of functions that required humans before. And I think that's why you're seeing those layoffs. Here's my hot take on this, and this is going to go for Hollywood adjacent live productions as well as video games. Uh, AI is going to make it easy to cut people loose indiscriminately uh, combined with just overall bad decision that you have people above the creatives forcing them into rock steady game studio specifically like all the people involved in making the Arkham stuff Long have gone. failed and they've made their own new company called uh, 100 Star whatever, right? I think that you're going to have the big companies just hemorrhage talent or legitimately fire their talent and you're, they're going to keep pumping out crap. Um, the big IPs are going to be dead, right? Because they're going to become very easy to produce. They're going to turn into trash and people go, oh, why isn't this Star Wars game selling or whatever? And I think you're going to have a lot of small studio startup where they've got hard and fast, no AI rules, and they're going to do things the old way. And you're going to have a really rock and cottage industry of uh, small, small studio content come out. Agreed. And, and video games is the industry that can is the most agreeable to that kind of innovation. Because if you've got a group of people that know what they're doing, you can distribute on almost every platform digitally. Right. So and I think you're going to see that grow into like production studios and stuff too. So, but we had a pr- podcast to produce about uh, what episode of Star Trek? <laughs> hey, we're still here hanging out at old uh, season four, episode fifteen, Affliction. Uh, for those of us who might have forgotten over the past 17, 18 minutes of video game talk, this one was Michael Sussman, Manny Cotto, Michael Grossman. Uh, we're talking about the Klingons. We're talking about the Augments. We're talking about Enterprise that just wanted to have a nice shore leave and enjoy the fact they saved the world. Nope. We're back out in it. Where'd we leave off on our discussion? So when we last uh, talked about this episode, we were basically at the halfway point. We have a lot to say about just the, the premise here the use of the augments, the rich continuity that we continue to just feast upon. And we're at the point where the Klingons are ambushing Enterprise after they've rolled up to the Rigelian freighter that got blown apart. And in this ambush, that is when it is finally revealed to the audience that these Klingons, quote unquote, look awful like uh, Voltaire's uh, Puerto Ricans dressed in gold lame. Um, they look, in fact, just like humans, except perhaps with, uh, they haven't been to the stylist in a while. Very long hair. And they are running some sort of game here on Enterprise. They're doing something to some kind of critical-looking doohickey uh, in the middle of the ship before just trying to bounce. The Makos, once again, these guys got nerfed so bad. <laughs> but then again, they just keep having to fight Superman all the time. It has to be tiring for them. My headcanon is that they got the best of the best of the best. And that you were seeing the real cream of the crop there. And unfortunately, they all fell off a bridge down an endless chasm to the bottom of the Death Star. And... uh None of these other replacement crews that have been able to come in can quite top. Except for Mr. Business. Mr. Business, he's got potential. This is the guy that told Shran's girlfriend no? That is correct. Just He also if- knocked Shran out right, right, with a single punch. What if Mr. Business had said yes and went back and uh, gave Shran's girlfriend the business? She might be alive this episode. 
she might not have been there, you know, successfully overtaking the ship and getting shot by that catcher mitt motherfucker who uh, I still don't understand why he didn't end up in the brig. (laughs) While we're talking about giving people the business, one of our uh, one of the members of our community had posed something in a chat that I believe is the new canon. We're going to go back to Mr. MVP Koss, right? To Paul's prearranged husband. And the notion that it wasn't just Time Zuck that was interacting with uh, Starfleet or, or, you know, proto-Federation members. And that a member of future Time Federation that Time Zuck represented went to Koss and was like, listen, you need... (laughs) to be with her at all costs. And he's like, she doesn't like me. She's mean. It hurts my feelings that I don't acknowledge. And she's making me look like a fool. Like, no, it is crit. You are the linchpin in making this future happen. It's important important to the history of the entire galaxy that you try and get that ass. I'm catching up on our back catalog and we're reviewing. um, What's the one where she gets married? Oh, the home. That yeah. and the one prior, like, cost does not seem into it at all. Like, it tracks. I forget who said it, but you've created very important headcanon. Koss was contacted by agents of the future during the Temporal <laughs> Cold War. And, he knew uh, that he, she was too, he was too good for her the entire time. He was doing it for the timeline. Yeah, this is like, this is bullshit. Her mom's a cultist. Why, why would I help her mom get her job back? This is ridiculous. Thank God he did, though. MVP guy. Makos show up. Uh, they kind of get rolled, but they do take one Klingon guy down with a couple shots. And the rest of the uh, the not Klingon Klingons bounce, leave them behind, which, of course, allows us to have a very awkward scene in Sick Bay, which doesn't have flocks in it, which is just something that has never happened. So I find it amusing that they may have wrote this without realizing that Flox wasn't there. And then they just had to have some random extra who's in sick bay now doing, I guess, what are you, the backup doctor? Are you a nurse? I've never fucking seen you. All right. You, you do the, the techno things and you don't have any lines, but you'll be doing the, the medical science while the, we, we main cast members have our dialogue and, you know, point at the screen and say, wait a second, this guy who's a human's not human. Uh, he's a Klingon. What the fuck is going on? What are the scenes where they can't make things out? I've gotten my notes that there's uh, stuff going on where there's no universal trans or a translator that seems to be present. Oh, in terms of like why this guy knows English? No, there was some other portion where like the language became a barrier. But I was like, well, they've got universal translators. Why are they putting up this uh, this little show here? Well, no, when they interrogate him down there. Initially, when he's speaking Klingon, I think Hoshi's there and just like translates live. But they've not they've not had like that sort of like universal translator mobile kind of a device that's been introduced. There is a universal translator on the communications array for when they do ship to ship. Right. But not within the ship. So. This Klingon being in sick bay requiring Hoshi to be present to translate, that actually is consistent, in my opinion. Maybe do we have to have our Chadish like weigh in on this? I you know is, are we activating it's, Jack? It's been a week. I don't know what these fucking notes are in regards to. These are stale notes. Their confusion with what this Klingon is. Uh, and slowly deciphering, like, no, this this guy has Klingon DNA. He looks radically different. He seems a little stronger. What's going on here? You know, the bigger conversation to have is, as you kind of covered last episode, you took a limitation of 60s, 70s era cheap TV costuming, and then through the movies started kind of hashing out this new look for the Klingons that really made them alien, made them a little scary and put some um, 
character in them. And by the time we get around to next generation, we know this is what Klingons are supposed to look for. And just in your mind, remember the Klingons looked like that. And instead of just having that be the way it was, uh, I think it's a DS nine that touches on. DS nine made a joke about it. And, and here's what we need to do. This is my proposal, right? Um, We do a, a mess hall. Okay, and we get the webcams and maybe we can even Twitch stream this because it'll be a game. And you and I will get a Ouija board. We okay. will summon the ghost of Manny Cotto. <laughs> Manny, say, we Manny, require your guidance. Manny, when you were figuring out season four and you were deciding that you're going to do this affliction thing, did they write the entire augment story arc specifically to set up the story becoming possible? Because it works so well that it is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of has that feel like I don't think you did this on accident. I think you had this idea and then you had this other idea and we're like, ooh, here we go. Like a 50-50. Like they were like, hey, okay, here's this augment. This we're let's let's get into the uh eugenics war and hey, what if this genetic engineering like fucked up other people? And oh my gosh, hey, you might try to tie this into the Klingons or like they're sitting there to write affliction. They're like, how do we explain this? Maybe there was a virus. What if they got augment? What if Khan's DNA was in them? Hey, you know, that that's more of the story than we can do in a two part or this is a three part arc, right? Well, this or, is a two part arc, two parter. What, what if we make an entire three parter to explain this two-parter well that's great now we're already five episodes into our 20 episode season if only we were thinking like this four seasons ago oh another member of our community pointed out to me speaking of the ghost of manny koto uh the intention with shran was to have him be a main cast member in season five really yeah that he was he was going to be the first andorian in starfleet that I hope would like facilitate a story where Reed dies and they need a new tactical officer. Maybe <laughs> I, I saw no elaboration aside from apparently Manny Cotto said this at some point, but uh, just a, a quick follow up on our, our own discussion of like, Oh, what would they have done with Tran in season five things to ask Manny Cotto's ghost? Yes. Yes. So you heard it here first, folks. We're going to summon a ghost <laughs> in a live stream and ask it questions about Trek. I'm sure Manny Koto's spirit will be uh, pleased by being disturbed by two losers who are desperate to ask him questions about a TV show that failed. Side note, if anybody would like to uh, wear a sheet with eye holes cut into it for our live stream... <laughs> Let us know. Hit us up. <laughs> Drop a comment on our Discord. How many viewers could we get with the title uh, Star Trek Podcast Summons Ghost of Manny Koto with Ouija Board? I think we could do pretty well for ourselves. Yeah, but I'll put up numbers. I'll put up I'll numbers. Tell you what, if I was Manny Koto too, I would just make the most wildest claims. Uh, oh, yeah. In season six, they were actually they were going to fight a Star Destroyer. That <laughs> <laughs> They were going to be <laughs> the doctor was going to show up. <laughs> uh, so we when we're done kind of having the. Oh, I take it back. We're not quite done on Enterprise. So there's some clear sabotage that went on and they're having difficulty getting the the ship back to warp. And they're also identifying like whatever the Klingons did, they did uploaded some kind of like fucking computer virus or something into the ship. And they've got to try to identify that, 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 that danger has not yet fully developed uh, at this point. Back on the Klingon colony is where we get flocks in his crowning glory, because he is timely taking a look at this, this weird disease. He's been asked to cure in no time flat. And then, he comments and gets very angry when he notices, wait a damn second. I know these base pairs in the DNA in this fucking virus because I saw them four months ago and it's augment DNA. What the fuck are you people up to? 10 out of 10 reveal. Oh, yeah. Absolute last thing that you would expect. Because, again, the story was supposed to be that... <clears throat> There was a Rigelian flu. Was that what it was? Yes. 
which is funny. That was a uh, they programmed the EMH with so he could have like bedside manner, like sympathy. Yeah, yeah. They gave him a bunch of diseases, including. I love that when one. they reuse uh, goofy, made up stuff, and that had. Was it a weapon they were developing or was it just a. What was the initial cover story? It was was, just there was a pandemic and they needed Flox to help cure it. So. uh, All the cards now come out on the table that the Klingons had recovered sections of the bird of prey that the augments had stolen prior to. um, What we call that guy? Oh, Adam Smasher. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of cyberpunk. That Adam Smasher had self-destructed being a complete bitch before beaming over to try and strangle his father and getting gunned down. And uh, they could not be outdone and one-upped by the humans. So they have decided that they were going to try to incorporate the DNA. And I'm curious. And I guess you can't really flesh that out without actually getting Soong involved. But the DNA that they harvested, if that was OG augment DNA or if this was DNA that soon had further. Well, they said they got it from the embryos, so it had to have been OG because he didn't get a chance to do much with the embryos because he got shuffled off the ship when he started to experiment with them. hmm. Remember, that was his big thing with Adam Smasher was like, I'm going to make them less aggressive. And he turned on him after that. So this I, is you're a, probably right. But I think they're it, split in hairs. It, there's a possibility it could have been stuff you already edited, whatever. But they got the DNA. They started trying to incorporate it. Now we see the full picture. Now yeah. we understand that this is very and this further reinforces that genetic engineering is super dangerous. Maybe it's not just limited to, hey, humans can't handle this, but Denoblians can like. Klingons who are arguably smarter with a more um, they have a more advanced civilization, clearly, and they should have a more advanced science program, too, even though that stuff's kind of, you know, taking the back seat with the warrior uptick or whatever. But it starts running through. Uh, it starts fucking up Klingon stuff like genetic engineering is bad. Go back to our discussion about uh, what happens in strange new worlds where they just kind of whitewash all that and and. Painful every time I think about it. That's the fact that that's where they start season two just made me instantly aggro on the whole thing and how poorly they handled it. Because this compare that to this, right? Like compare to the compare the that shallow nonsense to the depth that we're getting in this fucking show on the topic. It's like night and day. Everything's that this touches, it destroys. And and Doctor Ontak, the Klingon Doctor. First, I like his attitude as well. Like, Flox is great. Flox is just like, like, I don't fucking care if you shoot me type of attitude. Like, you're fucking, you fucking with some shit you shouldn't be fucking with. This is bullshit. You dragged me halfway across the galaxy to fix your fucking nonsense fuck up with this fucking thing you should never have touched. Love it. Ontak's very defensive of like, what were you expecting? You had a bunch of genetic super soldiers. We're fucking Klingons. All right. Do you, have you met my people? You think that they're going to let this shit slide? Absolutely not. This is really your fault. <laughs> it was his attitude, which I kind of liked. Flash should have been like, scientist of him. Like, you, hey, listen, you asked for this. Yeah. And I, I think actually General Kava, General Uncle Phil is General. there. He's like, yeah, what he said. <laughs> like, what were you expecting? <laughs> and also the reason why I got, it went bad was that it was working. And then apparently one of the test subjects had the flu and it mutated the flu and has caused this problem. Like augments really are just like this. They basically Wuhan like bio lab mistaked this. This is like some real fucking COVID shit. Right. Or, uh, you know, it's got like this almost like a Borg angle, right? Like, hey, here's this lure of a advanced technology but you cannot control this it will vector it will get out of control and it will spread uh this plague that just brings ruin to it um humans can't control it klingons can't control it flocks i think could have used a line on there somewhere like i was just dealing with augments trying to kill my lover (laughs) when will this augment genetic engineering bullshit stop bringing ruin and death to people around me. It's going to convince him that like maybe to know, but let's, let's not stop doing the genetic engineering. It's not working out for anybody. 
Hey, I want you to read this paper I just did. Uh, not cool. Um, there's also a big reveal here as to why the Klingons actually have not approached the main medical organizations out there. It's not because it would look dishonorable or um, make them look bad that they can't figure out their own thing. It's, oh, by the way, we're trying to weaponize humanity's forbidden super weapons and we fucked up and now it is uh, out of control. Like they're doing black ops stuff. This absolutely cannot become public knowledge. So back on Enterprise, we have a couple revelations. One, T'Pol is like meditating in a white space in her mind. And then suddenly She's Matrix, she wants guns, more and guns. Suddenly Trip shows up while he's daydreaming on Columbia. So apparently <laughs> it's new lore, right? This is brand new, hot off the presses, right? Hot off the presses, Vulcan lore. If you are a Vulcan and you fuck a human, you are stuck with him in your subconscious forever. It's not in his subconscious, though. Kind of. It's like in that subactive part of the brain. Like, she's trying to meditate. He's daydreaming. And suddenly they're, like, in this white space, like, like, literally talking to each other. This isn't a hallucination. Like, she has sucked him into the Matrix loading screen. And they are very nonchalant about the fact that this apparent psychic connection that is transcending space and time is occurring to the both of them. So anyways, Rune Johnson <laughs> sees this and he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. When I go on to watch uh, uh, to write uh, the new Star Wars garbage, I'm going to have Ray and Kylo Ren. They're going to do this and it's going to be even better. And uh, there is an amusing scene because, of course, to Paul and. Uh, Hoshi did a mind meld earlier so she could recover her memories of her assault. And then suddenly she's like, why did I have this weird dream about that had this romantic overtones from Commander Tucker? <laughs> What's going on with that? Mind melds are weird. Anyway, doop a doop. Again, I want Hoshi to be bitchy and catty. And I would like to think that she knows goddamn well why she's having these daydreams. And she's just specifically bringing that up to make uh, to Paul uncomfortable. I mean, they have had a contentious work history in the past. I've been whole yeah. episodes about it. So I can ex- if I can accept that uh, Hoshi is Archer's ex-girlfriend, it confirmed. I'm glad we firm- we have firmly come to that accord. Um, I can also accept that she knew what the fuck she was saying there for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Who etched in the desk here uh, to Paul plus Trip? Who could that have been? Oh, my God. The the real drama they're investigating, though, is that the black box they recovered from the freighter had its data erased. And they find out that it was erased using a device on Enterprise. And in fact, it was Reed as the last person who touched it. And Reed is called into the ready room and Archer confronts him with this information. And he just refuses to give up. Well, first he lies. Yeah, he lies. And then he lies and then some refuses, more. And then refuses to say anything else. It's a great scene. And that is something I've said maybe all of three times regarding anything involving Reed. Yeah, it's killing him. I mean, they do a good job of showing that without making it too much. You know, you write down on a piece of paper what you're supposed to understand about Reed. And somewhere on there towards the top is going to be that this guy takes his uh, enlistment as a sacred duty. This guy does not really have a social life. He is a business first guy. He has been very eager to lay his life down on the behalf of the ship many, many times. So now being put into this position where he said to compromise his own integrity and lie to his uh, commanding officer while they're trying to, you know, do really important shit, find flocks, stop a Klingon human war or, or whatever. And he's got a lie point blank to Archer. And Archer, uh, you know, there could have been some fun dialogue there about like, gee, I wish I would have kept Hayes instead of you after all. Or who would have known that Hayes would have been the better? Just something like cutting like that or whatever, right? Because Reed was afraid of losing his position to someone else. And here he is basically destroying his entire career and his nightmares coming true. I mean, on one hand, I understand why they don't really explain what this organization is. Why, you know, 
there's a total unexplored part of this plot of how the fuck is Reed involved with these people and why is he so dedicated to serving them and their secrecy that he would betray a man he obviously has tremendous respect for in the form of his captain and really Starfleet as a whole. And I understand why you don't say that because that's part of the mystery, right? Like, Oh my God. Right. If you're the viewer, like what the fuck is this that he's doing this? But they just, I need it a little. Okay. I don't need it at all. I need something from Reed of like, you don't understand. Like, uh, you know, the, the, it's like there, maybe there was like some sort of favor that was done. Maybe like something for, for his dad, you know, like he's got a contentious relationship with his father and there's something that he was able to accomplish on his behalf or for him or save his life through something that section 31 out of availability to. And now he's kind of like an indentured servant. Like just give me a taste of the backstory. Go ahead and write that down on the list of uh, things to ask Minikoto's ghost. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, we'll put that on number three. Yeah. Well, I, think we're, I, think we're hard, I think we're doing this. There was going to be an entire B plot of an episode in season five where they were going to do flashback episodes. <laughs> Obviously. Um, to Paul was going to start a conversation with Reed about the, you know, her traumatic experiences in Vulcan security services being uh, an assassin. And then he was going to flashback. Uh, is this the most we get of Section 31 in Enterprise? No. There's more. That's disappointing. Because if this is all we got, I would say that this is exactly as much as there should be in terms of like, it's not named Section 31. It's just a guy who should not be wearing a tight leather uniform, wearing a tight leather uniform <laughs> and read having some sort of nebulous association of who knows why it must really be. And that's what you can infer, right? You know what reads about read is a ship first, you know, duty first guy. And for him to betray Archer and lie to his face point blank, it has to be overwhelming circumstances to, to force his loyalty away. And again, with Star Trek, sometimes the best story out there is the one that you don't actually explain to the, the viewer and you just let them wander on their own. Uh, but the end of the result space jail, you know, tossed in by the Makos too. the world, yeah. the ship's smallest space jail. They must've been retrofitted. Like this brig's too big. What if we take one brig and make three brigs out of it? <laughs> so he's in tiny space jail. Um, back on the Klingon colony, uh, general uncle Phil, <laughs> not, not having it with flocks uh, pace of carrying the disease. Flox fires back. Why didn't you fucking kidnap Eric soon then? And they the said, best. we tried <laughs> the best, <laughs> the best. Um, like, why didn't you, why didn't you get Dr. Rick Sunchez instead? Get his yeah. fucking ass out here. Why'd you fucking get me? I'm like, well, he was under too many. He had too many guards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go ahead and put on the, the Manny Cotto ghost list. If uh, he had any plans to make a, uh, Rick Sunchez, a permanent member of the crew as well. Oh, God. G give me that bridge crew. Oh, yeah. Uh, give me Ooh. Archer to Paul. I'll keep around Reed. I uh, know not. <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, Archer to Paul. Give me the uh, the Starfleet resuscitation protocol on Hayes. Give me no, zombie no, no. Hayes. No. True gene. Dream team. Archer. Captain to Paul. True first officer. Give her a station for being first officer. Give okay? her a uniform. That's Give her a uniform. Uh, Dr. Soong, science officer. Shran, tactical officer. Yeah. And then Mayweather's still at the bridge. You know, got to keep it real. He's earned his place as one of the greatest helmsmen just for that fucking torpedo spear attack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the in Picard is... season three, when Picard asked to like, you know, slingshot his way around like oh god look at yeah that's impressive but i mean really the true defining characteristic of a great helmsman and is a um undeniable offensive line right like <laughs> when when they were talking uh, the, remember the uh, uh lower decks crossover episode of strange new worlds mm -hmm. and um ortega's is is like talking about how great uh, Mayweather is that's when they should have done it like the dude was jacked he just like whooped on everyone that worked by his station oh yeah hey what a missed opportunity 
All right, so I'm sorry. Archer captain to Paul first officer, put her in a uniform. Um, soon gets to be the new civilian consultant that's wearing tight velour jumpsuits with. There you uh, go. Oh yeah, just like command stuff. and really like at enhancing the dingus. You know, give him uh, some of Troy's velour low cuts too. That would be very yeah. There you go. That's all you got to do. Full circle. Yeah. Um. Was there anybody else great that, you know what? Let's somehow find a reason to bring Dr. Pellin on this. Cause I still feel like she needs justice. <laughs> Short trip. That Vidian love story just needs to be concluded somehow. She'll pick back up with, uh, soon Um, I love them bringing, you know, just bring this guy in. We tried so good. My wife, and this is what I meant to open this episode with. I, I didn't see the note till just now. She goes to me because she's got her friends online and uh, she comes to me with her phone in her hand. I know that she's going to ask me a question that they're talking about in this discord channel. She said, what's your favorite Star Trek quote? What a question people are talking. It's a question I've never considered in my life before. And I'm just a deer in headlights and I'm like, what is a good Star Trek quote at this point? Is it something serious and profound, some Picard level shit? Is it something ridiculous? I'm like, I put two hours of my life into thinking about and talking about Star Trek every week. The things that I find to be great quotes. Finally, I had to like sit there and like, I'm racking my shoes. Like everybody else knew what theirs was off the top of the bat. I'm like, I do too, by the way. Well, the one I had to finally fucking settle on was, uh, whatever that one was. And when Kim asks, why people are angry at them in the Delta Quadrant <laughs> and attacking them. It was such a preposterous, From stupid twisted, fucking yes. thing that was that twisted? It was. That Why it, would anyone be angry with us? Was such an ironic moment of bad writing that like that's the one that rung true on me. What's yours? It is possible to commit no errors and still lose. That is not failure in his life. Yeah. It's just it's just the best Trek quote for life, period. Yeah, it's but that's, you know, that's playing it straight. That's not necessarily that's true. That's my play. It straight one. That is not my funny quote. I think this is going to be something we need to take. Uh, take to the audience. I think they're going to be able to come up with some real good ones. Oh, absolutely. So, if you, yeah, I, I, I actually would have to think about, like, what's my favorite, like, quote for comedic purposes that's very identifiably star trek that would take me some time to consider i'm i'm initially like i would look towards probably bride of chaotica when like tom is explaining uh the pre the premise of the story to janeway and janeway says so this Dr. Chaotica is trying to conquer the world and he goes, yes, with his minions of evil. And it's just like hangs there for a second. And Janeway just kind of like stares at him and just sighs, you know, like to me, that makes that that moment made that entire episode. But I'm amazed that you're able to pull that quote and remember that it was twisted. Oh, Yeah. Because they, I, I, I even remember the scene. They're, they're in uh, Tom Skeevy fucked in on <laughs> the, the, on the holodeck, and they're all sitting around that, trying to figure out if anyone had attacked them because they can't talk to anybody. And they're like, "Well, someone could have attacked us." Like Tuvok says that, and he goes, "Why? Why would anyone attack us?" And it's just like it was such a a dingleberry thing to say and the the like he's like sitting on it he's like sitting at a table like he's like the big kids table for the first time with all the senior officers as they're trying to figure out what's going on he's not even supposed to be there you know like he like excused himself to go to the party that question almost makes me want to go through all my notes with a highlighter and like highlight the direct quote because like there's been so many good quotes too that we've come across and i've just been amazed that they never show up in the memorable quotes on Wikipedia or memory elf. And like, maybe we should just go back and, or I should go in there and actually edit those. It'll be me. And, um, who was it? Mike Sussman. Is he, you see the one that it goes in and <laughs> yes, it was explains his own actions, goes into memory alpha and edits it himself. So to make sure the rest of the world knows it's not his fault. 
What's uh, not his fault is uh, the failure of the engines on Columbia because they're not they're not failing anymore because Trip's doing his job. He's a good job doer. He's he's maybe running off some people. There was a scene where he's having dinner with Hernandez, and you know he's a hard hard driver. You know, Ensign Rivers. He's he's taking it, coming and going, but. Um, you know, he, he wants to just be professional and have colleagues and not have friends. He's trying to work his way past the fact that he's, you know, still in love with, with DePaul and now apparently has a psychic connection that doesn't again, get mentioned in this entire episode. And he, he, uh, gets the warp drive working and the Columbia is able to warp out of space dock. So there are also give seizures to everybody on the bridge because of those God awful light tubes. Yes the random pillar light tubes that will only be an impediment. That's the real enhancement for the NXO two. Here is a conversation I need to see, or I would like to see. Uh, and maybe we'll have to put this on the, if this was going to be, we'll ask Manny, if this was going to be in season five to a discussion somewhere at upper levels that we are privy to, whether it's Starfleet Admiralty or something else, because what you're seeing on the Columbia is a, turning point akin to the Battle of Wolf 359. It is the idea of Starfleet as an exploratory body having to face the realization that this cannot be a uh, a joyful hobby, right? Trip has been out in deep space for four years. They went through the Zindi conflict and all this other shit and whatever Archer was able to say in home to Hernandez about how scary and bad space is about the need for Mako soldiers and all that other stuff. Part of that also has to be, listen, we're not alone out there and people want to fuck us up. Not only are people trying to come here with space lasers to blow us up, they're trying to go back in time and Sarah and, and like John Connor, Sarah Connor, they're trying to kill our moms, right? Right. You cannot have the spaceship sitting in fucking space dock and have a bunch of uh, candy asses who are refused. They're going to get so bent out of shape when I come in here and start cracking the whip that they're trying to run away from like stern talking to. Yeah, like and space ain't for you then, chief. You ain't you ain't got the onions that or if that is just the, the temperament of Starfleet as a whole, there's big fucking problems. You've only got one ship that can address threats. Your entire organization needs to change, suck it up and start burning the fuel at both ends. Uh, tie that back earlier, like humanity was very dangerous and bad in World War Three, allegedly. Um, and then humanity nuked itself back into the Dark Ages, Zephyrim Cochran, then Vulcans make contact. And somehow all the bad, mean, nasty people go away and you are able to have this post-scarcity utopia come back in. And right now, it's a weakness. It's it's a very weak area, and there's a lack of commitment outside of Enterprise. Uh, no one else has experienced the horrors yet. How can they know? And they, they can know by having veterans coming back and start spreading the word. Like, it's time to stop fucking around. Grow a pair of balls and get these fucking ships out there. We need them. So, uh, eventually, Archer goes to talk to Reed in the brig. Um, says, like, I'm following these guys into Klingon space, which is bad. This has never been fun. What the fuck do you know? And he still won't tell him. Dying with every denial. Still won't tell him. Mm -hmm. But he does reveal when he talks to the Klingon captive that he is aware of what's going on because he says he has the same goal, which is to find a cure. So we know Reed knows that these guys have been infected with a virus and that they are sick uh, and not merely just augmented supermen. And all of this is in service of the idea of stopping this from happening. But the, the kind of like where the, the taking time bomb they put at the end of this episode is actually quite fascinating. The, the virus that is infected enterprise kicks in and what it does is turn the NXO one into speed. That's what I got. <laughs> speed <cooking. laughs> I mean, obviously, right? Like yeah. it, it makes it so that the matter, antimatter containment, whatever intermix chamber is going full bore. 
and you can't shut it down without blowing uh, the warp core. So the only thing you can do is go as fast as possible because it's basically the juice is being pumped into the engine as at, at full full go. And so you just gotta just gotta pour it on. You gotta use that energy up or it's gonna blow you up. And so they're going warp five point fucking two, which is about as fast as I think they've ever gone. More importantly, uh, they're going that fast without their real chief engineer. Because this other guy, whoever Tinder Colby, is, who's who's not in good odor, who can't even <laughs> fucking like answer the phone when it's ringing. This guy is not. He does not have the stuff. Um, I need a throw. I don't need throwaway. I need a dialogue line next episode where they're like, you know, maybe for the next ship we make, we like make a warp core eject feature. <laughs> get this thing out of here when it's when it's bad yeah whatever <laughs> kill us uh put this on the manny list uh where are they going to introduce ejectable warp cores in season five i mean this goes back to that excellent episode when flocks has to stay like the rest of the crew has to be asleep because of whatever cloud they're going through in the uh uh in the zindi world in the in the expanse and was that called one <laughs> No, it's the good version with Flox. And he, you have that quick scene of the, the ghost of Trip talking about how difficult warp engineering is. Mm-hmm. And it's like really like you, you have to do theoretical physics on the fly yeah. all the time. <laughs> like, like, well, apparently uh, there's a downside to this complexity that uh, can can just turn it into Keanu Reeves best uh, movie. Maybe next uh, episode they'll have to like augment the virus so instead of speed it becomes more Tokyo Drift. Who you, knows? You you will be sh- you will be shocked how close you are. <laughs> what is what's the next episode? <laughs> uh, we're going to be going into Divergence. This is uh, going to be season four, episode sixteen. Uh oh. I see Archer, he's got some ridges on his head. With Columbia's help, the Enterprise crew grapples with sabotage to their ship as they pursue the truth behind the kidnapping of Flocks. I, you know what? Back to my 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 wondering. Um, I think it would be a cool plot arc if this Klingon virus really gets good traction. If these Klingon super soldiers wrestle control of the empire away and start doing their own agenda. And you have like basically history repeating itself that like augments dethrone the powers that be. And like, I think you're going to love how this winds up. <laughs> it's like you're just calling you're calling. You're like Babe Ruth of Star Trek predictions. You just like, that's the way it's going today. I see, listen, you see the code. <laughs> I've always seen the good story that can be. And just normally it's things that don't come to go, but uh, Manny Cotto. Yeah. Rare opportunity of like, this would be the good story. It's like, well, someone else had that idea too. Wouldn't you know it? (laughs) This time our rewrites actually happen. Yeah. But we're going to do some, uh, yeah, there was a point in this episode where flocks actually like, comes to the conclusion that you could stabilize the augment virus rather than cure it. Uh, but he refuses to do so and like it's carried away. So they did kind of set that up a little bit and yeah, this is going to be too fast, too furious with Columbia first. We're going to do some space Tokyo drifting and then we'll go ahead and finish off the rest of the plot. Please tell me that the Columbia's helmsman is Paul Walker. Talk about rest. We'll add his ghost after Manny Cotto uh, to consult just as in the same way. Cotto's ghost. Yes or no. Was Paul was Paul Walker going to be in season five of Enterprise? (laughs) Obviously, the answer will be yes. Mm. Just like we uh, we will summon all of you to our next episode next week, which may or may not include a Ouija board. Thank you so much for listening.